What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Pit Limiter Podcast. It is episode number 11. I'm your host, Zach Buchanan. Joining me as always, John Poole Third, a.k.a. JP3. What's up, buddy? Not too much, Zach. What's going on? Well, I ended up in a cornfield this weekend, so that was pretty cool. In a cart race, so, you know, that's fun. Nice, nice. To, uh, keep it interesting, you know. Well, did you get any corn, at least? Uh, no. Uh, nothing's been planted yet, considering... Uh, in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, it's been an absolute monsoon in the like the last six weeks, I'd say. So that's uh, pretty cool, not going to lie. <laughs> it's been a pretty interesting uh, recent week in the motorsports world. And to kick the show off, let's jump right into Stop and Go. What you got, John? So, as we all remember, F1 Liberty was looking into bringing F1 into downtown Miami with a racetrack around the Oracle Arena in that area. Well, it looks like after some pushback from lawmakers, uh, they have scrapped the downtown Miami race, and they are now looking for an alternative track around Hard Rock Stadium, which is used currently by the Miami Dolphins. So, Oriole Servia was a part of a test at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway last week uh, with SPM Racing and obviously with the IndyCar series, and it was announced that Oriole will be driving the number 77 car for SPM in the Indy 500 this year. There's some pretty shocking news coming from Mexico. Uh, the government is actually seeking to bring NASCAR uh, to host some races uh, in Mexico over the next few years. The Secretary of Tourism of Mexico announced that the government of Andreas Manuel Lopez Abrador, apologies for butchering that name, is exploring the possibility of bringing several NASCAR races to Mexico. So Joe Graff Jr., who has raced in the ARCA series, uh, joins Richard Childress Racing uh, to be a part of their marketing department and as well is going to race in the number 21 car in the Xfinity series this year. So some more IndyCar OEM news. Porsche was was showing interest in joining IndyCar. Uh, they were in advanced talks beyond the preliminary stages, but they don't have a deal signed yet. As you all know, they were in CART in the early 90s, but it looks like after some more research, it seems they are not necessarily too fond of the current IndyCar formula and prefer a hybrid esque uh, rules package. So Vatari Botas won a pretty calm Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, Lewis Hamilton finished second and on the bottom step of the podium was Sebastian Vettel. It was the first time a team has finished 1-2 in the first four races. So craziness ensued at the Paris E-Prix for Formula E this weekend. Uh, their first race in the rain and the first race that I know of where they've ran with hail. Uh, after all of the ensuing chaos, Robert Fringe uh, wins the Paris Prix. Again, butchered his name, apologies. Um, but that leaves eight winners from eight races and from seven different teams in the series. Incredible. Well, as all of you probably know if you're motorsports fans, NASCAR was at Talladega this past weekend. The Xfinity Series, the Cup Series, as well as the ARCA Series was all there. Todd Gillen won a pretty uneventful ARCA race on Friday. 
uh, Tyler Reddick with a damaged race car comes back to win the Xfinity race on Saturday and Sunday. Probably the best race of the weekend, even though I didn't get to see much of it. Chase Elliott held off his teammate Alex Bowman to win the Monster Energy Cup race on Sunday at Talladega after Kyle Larson went for a scary ride on the backstretch of the final lap. All drivers got out of the cars okay. Chevy had its first 1-2-3 finish in the Cup Series since Homestead of 2016. Just incredible. It's been that long. Um, news today about the Gen 7 car. This is coming from our good buddy Adam Stern. Uh, NASCAR teams are actually asking the sanctioning body and tracks to help foot the bill for the major expense of switching to the Gen 7 car. Which signals that teams are necessarily still not happy with how revenue is distributed throughout the sport. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, we don't really talk about drag racing that much on the PLP, but uh, something that's been kind of in the news, uh, an article by the drive.com, James Gilboy, band drag racing champion Larry Dixon is now suing the NHRA over a lifetime ban from the sport that he says was motivated by a desire to monopolize the business of selling experience rides in a two-seater top field dragster. There's some news coming from the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Series. Ryan Hunter Ray is set to return to IMSA action driving alongside Jonathan Bomarito in the 55 Mazda DPI at Mid-Ohio. Wow, so that's a, a lot of stuff going on in the motorsports world, and we've got a very special guest tonight. Joining us on the PLP for the first time, he is a freelance contributor to the RacingExperts.com as well as digital content producer at the Hockey News, 22-year-old Stephen Ellis. What's going on, buddy? Not much. How about you guys? Pretty good. good. Pretty good. good. I also kind of kind of forgot to mention you're Canadian. Being a motorsports <laughs> fan from Canada, I mean, kind of give give me the the background to where your love for motorsports came from. Uh, yeah. So uh, my dad, he was a fan. He he loved watching racing, and um, I guess uh, apparently I'd been watching racing since I was about one week old. Uh, and I want to say Pocono would have been the first race that I would have been able to see. And uh, one day my dad went to a NASCAR race, brought me home uh, a big banner of Tony Stewart. And I kind of think I was hooked after that. And uh, I ended up go-kart racing myself and uh, raced for a while. And I've just kind of kept following the sport. I, I, even though I cover hockey, I think I, I could say I love racing even more. I just uh, There's something about it that just I, I, it, I've never lost interest. Even in an area where racing's kind of forgotten about, especially IndyCar. So, if I guess a, a good question to ask is: is if the opportunity presented itself to have a full-time career as a journalist revolved around motorsports, is that something that you would consider, or do you think hockey is where it's at right now? For you, uh, it would be very hard for me to want to leave hockey. I absolutely love covering hockey, watching games. Um, 
stuff like that you know racing's kind of just i what i like about it is that i can watch it as a fan and enjoy it um but uh i i think i could never leave hockey it's the thing that's uh i've been surrounded by it forever and i absolutely love what i'm doing now with the hockey news so i could never see myself changing but uh you know if uh the opportunity was right down the road who knows but like i will be working with uh, a couple pinties series teams this year so at least there's that to keep me in the sport and uh, on, the, on the working side of uh, of motorsports so um but you know I, I i don't think i could ever leave hockey it's just uh that's what i'm good at that's what i like to do and that's what i hope to continue doing so so something john's actually gonna head up this week tuesday trivia Steven, we're going to get you involved in this as well. All right, John. Knock us out. What do you got, buddy? All righty. So, during the 1997 ARCA season, ARCA ran at three dirt tracks. What were the three dirt tracks they ran at during that season? What season was this again? 1997. 97. Is Ducoin one of them? Ducoin is one of them. Okay. Um. Gosh, I mean, are they tracks that are kind of obvious? Oh, Springfield. That's another one. Okay. That's two out of your three. I will say that the last one is has obscure? only hosted very obscure. Okay. Only hosted one race in the Arca series. Actually, it's its only major. Oh, oh, uh, late claim. You know what? Uh, this. I think I remember reading about it. Uh, was it West Virginia? It was West Virginia. Good job, I was job, reading something Steven. about that a few days ago because I saw a video, I guess, of the track. I'm like, where is this? And it's like, oh, Arca race there. What the heck? And I want to say it was... Jeez, oh, I want to say that Frank Kimmel won the race? Yes, he did by a lap over <laughs> Blaze Alexander. Uh, All right, I'm let's... pretty sure that, that see 1997. That would have been one of the years where Mark Thompson actually pulled off a win, right? I believe Ooh. so. Let's fire up so. the Google machine because uh, I'm actually yes, he won Charlotte. Jeez, they, they had two races at Charlotte that year. To be fair, though, <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, we could guess a winner of a race back that far, and, and we could probably guess Frank Kimmel would be probably right. Most of the time. But that's... Here's a really interesting thing, though. They went to Charlotte three times that year. They did... What? Yeah, they went to Charlotte in May, twice, within four days of one another. They held a 100-miler on, say, the Saturday of the All-Star race, and then the Wednesday before the Coke 600, they ran another race, a 200-miler. That's interesting. Well, I, I, there was, I was looking at it yesterday, but there was like... One of the the I think it was the Bush North series that raced at uh like Oxford like six times in one season. Jeez, I can't, I can't remember specific the specific details, but it was like they it was Bush North racing at one track way way too many times. I remember I remember vaguely the Xfinity series used to do that with Martinsville. They used to run three times a three year. Three times, yeah. Used to be the season finale. Well, see, Grand oh, that's Am right. Grand Am used to race at um, Daytona twice. Daytona three times. Three times. Oh, three yeah. times. Really? Yeah, they 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 started the year mid season and end of the year. How long Forgot ago like, was this? This all oh, this would have been like two thousand two. 
Well, like, the it was, uh, it was gotcha. short-lived. well, the mid-season one was the Paul Revere 250, which I always enjoyed that race. Uh, but I remember yeah, that the, one. Yeah, there was the the 2002 Grand Am series. I guess uh, I want to say because I think they did specifically that season because it was um, like the I guess they they had a they, a couple of DPs actually entered the race, but they were not full time teams at that point. Um. Yeah, Daytona, 2002, Yeah, they raced there three separate times. So there Man. is that. And if I am correct, they did have a couple of DP cars, but like they weren't allowed to like race your points. Oh, and, and this would have been well, two thousand two would have been before the DP era. Yeah. So was it two thousand four? Three. Three was three. the first year. They all broke down. It was not a pleasant. It was oh. but the schedule was kind of fun back then. Like Daytona three times, Homestead, uh, Fontana, Phoenix, Watkins Glen twice, uh, VIR and Mount Tremblant. So they actually didn't really have much variety. But uh, like again, I really like the idea of racing at um, Rovals, and I think there's a lot of Rovals that are just kind of ignored. Like Phoenix, I think is a good one. Fontana's a very fast one, but the GT cars always got way too spread out. Um, New Hampshire, I just want some series. I don't care who. Someone please race there. That's such a weird, weird, weird track. It's like the only Rovol where they go outside of the track. Yeah. Well, the but... thing was is that New Hampshire used to be Briar, and that was part of Briar. I have a better idea. Just tear down New Hampshire and rebuild Briar. <laughs> Make everybody happy. Don't say that too loud. That's my might hear it. I, uh, might not be too happy about hearing that, but I'm sure that wouldn't be the first time that they'd hear something like that. I, I think it was really interesting when Grand Am used to run. Uh, I mean, like you said, Phoenix. I'm trying to think. They also ran Iowa at one point. We don't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, was that really was. Bad. That was like basically an oval, but uh, Mark Martin ran that race. Remember? Oh, that's right. Didn't he start from the back or something? Yes. Because yes. I don't think he qualified. Yeah, something like that. It was just so many questions. Who thought a? I don't know that. It's like adding a roval at Martinsville. It just. Hey, why want... not? There's not enough room. <laughs> Gosh, there's so many. I mean. Trying to think of other rovals we've had. I mean, I, I guess you could count NDGP layout, but that's. Remember the really terrible Charlotte roval, a roval from World Challenge. From yeah, it was like World Challenge. Jimmy Johnson was supposed to run one of those races. Wait, or two thousand four, I believe. It was just yeah. a. It, no. It was oh seven. Yeah, it was oh seven. Yeah, and they had the tire barriers as a. <laughs> It's tractor tires as a chicane. <laughs> as a chicane. Yeah, that was... Uh, I-, I like the new iteration of the Roval. Well, did they even go into the infield at all? Uh, I want to say yes, they did. Because I, I, if I remember correctly, I want to say they just like turned in, and then at pit road they turned back out or something. <laughs> like It was not a very elaborate ro- uh, Roval, if I remember correctly. And then, see, Grand M also ran Kansas... Oh jeez, did did you ever? Did you guys ever hear about the 2014 race they did at Kansas, which would have been the second year? No, no, didn't hear that about that. They, uh, 
what they did was well i thought john i thought you and i were talking about it maybe not but they um basically they didn't have um it, it was it was prototype challenge when they had like well before like yeah when they had that as a class and they had the um prototype chat like what became the prototype challenge cars which were the cooper tire prototype lights cars which uh was basically the support class for lmp3 up until this season and they raced those two classes together and it was two 45 minute races and they didn't broadcast it or anything so there's no proof of it happening on youtube or anything but it was yeah it was like, it was like the i want to say there was like 15 cars total between the the two classes but it's like yeah it was like the dying prototype challenge and then what we what later became prototype challenge in its own different thing but they raced each other which was very strange that's interesting huh well the more you know i guess (laughs) so the (sighs) talladega which yeah, I think in some people's minds, it's either their favorite race on the schedule or their least favorite race, and it's usually... I don't think it's too far in between because uh, plate racing, it seems like people either love it or they hate it. And I think what we saw Sunday, I didn't see much of it because I was at the kart track all day, but from what I saw and from what other people were talking about, it seemed like they actually got the package right and it was a pretty good race. I'm not sure. I can't speak for you, Stephen, if you got to solve it or not. But I, I was really intrigued by practices and such like that this week of how this package would act. And, of course, Friday they were going way too fast, so they decided, let's add uh, the gurney lip to the uh, spoiler and slow them down a little bit. And quite honestly, that was probably the best super speedway race since the... since probably 2012 in all honesty it was absolutely that that was that was a lot of fun you know and people say well they they got single file again i'm like well i was just saying to myself well you know if you listen to the radio they were doing that to save fuel so it seemed like they could not go single file it just wasn't possible with that package so sometimes there's a point in time in a race especially in the middle of a race of a plate track where you're just like, all right, you know, we all got to chill out, get in line, and, and, and not kill each other. You know, and, and they're saving fuel, and I think if you run the whole race three by three by three, you're just going to risk junking the whole pack. I mean, look at all the pl- – I think every plate race last year and a few in 2017. Just look at all those. You run three and sometimes four wide the whole race – and have no time to catch your breath or, you know, regroup or anything like that, you're going to have big wrecks, and you're going to have 10, 15, 20 cars finishing the race. And I think that was a good balance, and it was a pretty good race. Chase Elliott won, Bowman second. I uh, had a lot of different guys mixing it up for the lead and everything, so it was, it was pretty neat to see. And I'll, I'll let my bias hit here. I'm, I'm a Chevrolet fan motorsports wise really never knew that yeah never knew that of course (laughs) but huge chevrolet fan motorsports wise and it was nice to see chevrolets run up front it's it's no secret that 
since the update with, I'd say, Toyota a few years back, that Chevrolets have really lost their edge. And now Ford with the new Mustang, they just they just have something that the Chevrolets don't have at this point. I'm not sure if it's something underbody or the body shape itself. I don't know. But it was really nice that you know they actually contended and got, I think, six out of the top ten spots. I know that uh, the director of General Motors you know, sat them down, I believe, on Friday and said, we got to work together. Because they were sick of seeing, you know, Toyotas or Fords win all these plate tracks, or just win in general. So it was a pleasant change, I'd say. Yeah, like that was, for the most part, it was a pretty competitive race, and um, there truly was no real favorites. And um, it was nice to see kind of the Chevrolets kind of rise to the occasion for once, because it has been such a a Ford dominance over the last couple of years at the play tracks and to, to see the Chevys kind of strike gold there and finally have a good run was nice to see a bit more parity. Cause you know, again, like when you look at last year, Talladega for the, the fall race, it was all Stuart Haas racing. Well, they weren't able to do that this year, especially when Harvick got involved in an accident and, and that kind of really hurt their opportunities there to do what they did last year. So it, it was kind of like, you never knew who to expect or never knew what to expect. But the one guy that who is a Ford that I've, I've actually thought has done a good job this season but has had no luck was Michael McDowell. He's a guy that, if you look, he spends a lot of time actually running in the top 15 and whether it be involved in an accident, uh, something wrong in the pits, whatever, he seems to always find a way to kind of fall out of there. But like yesterday, he was running top 5, top 10 before he was involved in that accident. He's a guy that... I was really shocked to find out he's actually uh, like 30th in points. And the only guy with less po- um, points in a full-time ride this year happens to be his teammate, Math Tift. But I was really surprised because I thought in a lot of cases he was running quite well. Um, but in, in a car that doesn't really contend often. Uh, but he was giving that team opportunities to have good finishes only to get involved in accidents and um it was kind of disappointing to see that like happen once again for him uh yesterday i completely agree you know i've never really thought of mcdowell and such like that throughout the year but yeah he has had some truly nasty luck over this year just whether it be tire failures wrecks mechanical gremlins you name it he's had it this season. And I'm and if you look, I mean he had a top 5 in the 500 this year. So he has the talent. It, it's there. It's just he just has no luck. So on uh, one side of things you've got McDowell having the bad luck, but how about Okay, so Alex Bowman gets a second. Ryan Priest gets a third. I believe that's his career best. Yes, both are career best actually. Yes. Uh Daniel Hemrick fifth career best brent brennan gone eighth place i believe that's a premium car correct me if i'm wrong no it's beard motorsports beard motorsports okay and i think he ran for premium at one point but uh beard motorsports uh eighth place finish Corey lajoy fat uh go fast motorsports 11th uh reed Sorensen finishes in the top 20 like th- these are a lot of great stories uh it's it's so it's bringing some parity back in, into uh, plate racing, and that's a, really it's kind of neat to see, honestly. And one thing you didn't we didn't mention is Ty Dillon 
won a stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, coming into the season, if you would have told me he's won two stages, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> I, I would have said the same thing to myself. But think of it this way, too. He now has more stage wins than Jimmy Johnson has. Yeah. That's, that's a right. cra- that's a crazy stat to say, but wait, are we talking this year or are we talking career? Career. <laughs> really? Yes, really. So the stages were introduced in 2017, correct? Yes. He he didn't win any stages in 2017? Uh, he either won or none. Gosh. That's crazy to think. Well, that's really that's really sad though. It kind of says how far off the map uh, Hendrick well, and Chevrolet has fallen. Well, no, not necessarily, because Jimmy Johnson was always more of a guy who turned it on late in the race. That's true, yeah. So. But, stage racing, there's points up for grabs in the stages. Every point does matter. I mean, even though you got the playoff format, you know, points do matter in the playoffs, and if you win a stage, you know, you get playoff points, and it's uh, or you don't get playoff points for stage wins. I'm I'm dumb, but uh, yeah, you do. Oh, you get one, don't you? Yeah, but you still get points. Oh, that's right. Yeah. See, it's their their format's so confusing sometimes. It's hard to remember what's going on half the time. Remember, they made this format to make it easier, quote unquote, for people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I kind of wonder if having that many points up for grabs every race kind of dilutes. The purpose of it, because if you have that many points, like think about it this way: so it's, instead of scoring forty or forty-three, how many ever points a race, you're now scoring sixty times. If we're, even if we're just doing the regular season races, times twenty-six, that's a lot of that's that's a big difference in points. The more points you offer, the easier it's going to be for the field to be spread out. Which, you know, basically, it's going to be easier for one guy to point his way in over another because it's just not going to be close. Yeah, exactly. It's it, To me, it doesn't really make sense that on any given weekend, I could say, oh yeah, uh, second place earned more points than the winner. Like, yeah. take, like take for example, this is Bristol. Joey Logano who finished third, had the same amount of points as Kyle Busch, who won the race. Yeah. I remember last season, Chase Elliott, who finished seventh or eighth at Sonoma, had more points than Martin Truex, the winner. Yeah. I think the only other series that I that I know of that you could score more points than the winner is IROC because of their bonus points system. They paid out bonus points for like... Uh, like if you, I think it was if you scored the most, if you led the most laps, then led the second most laps, and then the third most laps. So like it was multiple uh, tiers, I guess you could say, for how they distributed bonus points. But yeah, to think that we're giving out more points to third place than what we are the winner is is kind of crazy to think about. Okay, here's another example for you. Atlanta this season. Keselowski scored no stage points. Second, third, and fourth. And let's see here. Twelfth scored more points than he did. That's a little scary. 
Yeah, Kyle Larson in 12th scored 44 points. Kyle Larson hasn't really been lighting the world on fire recently either. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, it's it's been really rough with him. I And, you know, I don't know if I necessarily blame him completely. Because, I mean, when's the last time that Ganassi has had two strong cars? I mean, when it was McMurray and Larson, Larson was the A driver. Or, you know, he was the fastest usually. McMurray was usually consistently top 15-ish. It would have been like 2014 or 15-ish, whenever the team itself was doing great as a whole. Yeah. But, I mean, Kurt Busch, I mean, I got to give him props. He, he He's come in and has run really well for them, I think. But Larson, man, I, I don't know if it's just Chevy or if that, that 42 team, but they need to get it together because they haven't won a race since 2017 Michigan. Is, is that right? No, Richmond. Yeah, Richmond. Richmond. They won four races that year, I believe. Well, a lot of people like to... Uh, I kind of see it as a trifecta of sorts. One, the package does not suit his style. I mean, I hate to say it, the cars are not on the edge. Uh, two, uh, Chevrolet has a deficiency. That's given. Three, I don't think Chad Johnston is the right crew chief for him. No. Bingo. I, bingo. I don't think he's really the right crew chief for anybody, to be fair. I mean, when uh, if I remember correctly, it was 2014 or 15. It was the 2015 Brickyard 400. Stewart was running second or third to Harvick, but had contested throughout the race. Or maybe, was it 14 or 15? I can't remember. I just remember that Stewart was a big part of being in the top five and had a shot at potentially contesting for the win. And Chad Johnston's like, nope, bringing it down pit road, getting four tires with like 20-some to go or something. I don't even remember, but it was not nearly enough time to come back and, and win the race. Being on a hard yeah. tire and being at Indy, restarting 20-something or whatever he did, you know. I I just, yeah, he's not the right crew chief for Larson, I don't think. Yeah, I was mentioning that to, to John yesterday. It's like, I, I I follow Tony Stewart again, like I was saying earlier. To see that, that was painful because he was that was in the midst of his really tough time where he wasn't doing much, and all of a sudden for him to have a chance at Indianapolis and was thrown away by what easily at the time seemed like a stupid pit call and ended up becoming a stupid pit call we saw the result of it and all of a sudden tony stewart does to win that race and isn't in at, at the end and i really do want to know why did why did he pull kyle larson off the track yesterday uh to have him pit at the end of the race go from being uh just outside the top five to he's at the back of the pack making no moves that eventually flips over if he's he's not in that situation if they don't pit him late in that race yesterday now, you brought up a good point about Larson's flip. Now, in the past, NASCAR has been known to kind of be knee-jerky when it comes to any type of flip or this or that with the package when it comes to restrictor plates. Do you think they'll make a move to correct, say, a crash similar to what Larson had yesterday? I, I, I don't, because... It, uh, to be honest, I don't know if NASCAR fully knows 
exactly how that happened because there's are some theories about it but in the reality it's there's been a long time since we've seen a, a car flip in that way um but at the same time like that that was just a strange flip altogether um it, it also was the first race of that package at that type of track so we don't totally know what the whole cause is um but at the same time that was again that was a strange crash for him um i don't think nascar will react really quickly or reactionary to it i totally don't know but again nascar has made some questionable decisions on the fly in the past so you never know but Again, that was just a strange little flip that I was wondering if the damage to his hood was part of the reason, and that kind of got him in the mm. air. Yeah, the way he flipped, you don't see that. Like since they got rid of the grass and the back stretch and the front stretch, you don't see the car flip like that. That that was almost like an old style flip with grass there, and there wasn't that. So well, it was, was very, just... it was very similar. If if we look back at it, the spring race in twenty sixteen, yeah with Matt Kenseth, where a direct hit straight to right to the side or to the wheel, I mean, in Kenseth's case, the, the wheel was ripped off, so the air lifted up. It looked like with this crash, it crushed, you know, some crush panels, rocker arm, maybe possibly the side skirt, and it just, you know, lowered the takeoff speed because air got underneath of it. But we also saw William Byron, if he would have just got the right Get Same to the thing, side of yeah. side of his car. He would have been over like McMurray was last season in practice. So we could have had two really nasty tumbles there well, if circumstances worked out. The way that wreck looked almost looked as if a car pushed him up and over, but there was no car there. Like remember Almendinger's wreck in the fall of uh, 2010. When he got yes. pushed, or uh, like Clint Boyer in the in the duels, twenty fourteen, like when you get pushed and the air gets underneath it and just flips you over. Uh, it, if you look at it in slow mo, the right rear starts picking up first, and it it looks very bizarre just how he's just sliding along and the right rear picks up, and he's not really even sliding backwards. He's just kind of sliding sideways, but the nose is is in front of the car. You know, the, it's with the nose first, and to see the right rear pick up, it's very bizarre to see that. I, you know, I, to me, the only thing I can think of is it's whatever they're doing with the underbodies of the of these cars. I mean, I can't think of anything else that would cause that. And what, just the rumblings that you you hear about what these teams are doing to the underbodies and what they've been doing to the underbodies for years now, is it's a uh, kind of suspicious i think i guess if, if we could find out uh what caused that yeah definitely so i'm i mean i'm i'm curious just as a general fan you know what i you know what causes this you know we have all these inventions of you know roof flaps cow flaps now we're talk talking with possibly a newer package say for the all-star with a hood flap you know, we're still having cars getting upside down. Now, as a NASCAR fan, I'll say that, you know, as long as nobody gets hurt, it's great for entertainment-wise, but for the drivers, they don't want to see that or have that happen. So, it, you know, just, you know, what can we do to stop this, per se? Yeah. 
Well, and that was a scary wreck to see, honestly, because if he would have taken off a little bit sooner or even a little bit later, you could argue, uh, you know, if the timing's differently, he could have easily launched straight head on into the catch fence. If, if the, you know, maybe a little bit more height on it, you know, think of it that way. If, if he launches head on into the catch fence from basically, uh, you know, getting clipped at full speed, sent to the infield and launched head on into a catch fence. I hate to speculate what could happen in an accident like that, but there's no way it could be a good outcome from having a car launched like that into a catch fence. And uh, it's 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 scary to think about, honestly. Yeah, and one thing that we saw, we saw a lot of or a few fan videos of the crash. I never realized how close the fans were to the backstretch mm-hmm. wall. So you know, if they hit, he hits a catch fence. You know, what what is that going to do debris wise? That's what I'm right. concerned about. I, you know, I never realized they were that close per se. I thought they were, you know, close, but not, you know, like a stone's throw away from the track. Well, that's not even the first time that we've had cars hit the backstretch wall like that. I mean, Kenseth did it 2016. He hit the wall upside down. McMurray did it last season yes. in practice. So it's so it's it's a it's a common trend that we've began to see, begun to see, and it's uh. <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how else you explain how something like that happens or how you prevent something like that from happening. I will say the good news is, though, at least it's happening somewhere where there aren't a lot of fans. Like, it's not happening where there, where there, you know, fans can, a lot of fans could get hurt. That's true. I will say, I will say that. That's but, true. But that begs the question, you know, race cars don't choose when they want to wreck right. or flip right. over. And and they'll find the weirdest places to crash, like 1994 Mark Martin. Remember when he went through, uh, I think, two guardrails and a fence? Yeah, almost went into a spectator area. He said yeah. he should have. He was actually talking about that this week on his Twitter. He said, I should have died. Yeah I, yeah, I saw that. Very, like, racing, you see the most bizarre accidents. And, yeah... The one thing that I will say is um, the one thing that I noticed about this crash, it almost kind of reminded me of 2017 Daytona July when Larson kind of did the same thing when he got turned off turn four and really virtually, you know, after after he got turned the first time, virtually no contact after that. And he nosed into the wall and the back end picked up off the ground almost in the same manner and then set back down on the ground. Uh, after hitting the wall. Yeah, I always found that wreck to be probably one of the weirder ones that I've saw at Daytona or Talladega. See, and even Austin Dillon 2015. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with underbody just because of how... Voice crack. Uh, just because of how it happened. You know, you could argue he ramped off of Hamlin's nose. You could... You know, I don't know, but... It's... It, the only thing that I can point to is the Gen 6 has had some very weird wrecks on plate tracks. I'll completely agree with you. It's really weird types of wrecks. I mean, what what's your opinion on this, Stephen? Would you agree that the Gen 6 on plate tracks have been, you know, really weird when it comes to the accident side? 
Yeah, because like we, we don't see as many uh, like crazy flips as we had in the the previous eras. But um, I don't know. It just seems like every crash that we see now, Daytona Talladega, it's like it's like wow, okay, that was big. When when you look at that Di Benedetto Busher crash yesterday, like that was a pretty high impact crash. That like it just I don't remember seeing a whole lot of that in the like the COT era. Um, but yeah, it does feel like we're seeing a lot higher, stronger, um, uh, more dangerous accidents with the Gen 6 car. And I'm no engineer. I could not tell you why that is. But uh, at least from a fan's perspective, it definitely looks like, yeah, this is it, the crashes have been quite significant. Um, again, we don't see a whole lot of flips these days. And when we do, it's like they're almost strange ones, like uh, like Kurt Busch's when he ran for uh, Furniture Row a couple of years ago. And uh, just, just some flips just don't make a whole lot of sense. But at the same time, um, they're still pretty impactful. And we, we've seen a ton of huge accidents and a lot of big accidents to the point where, um, like, I don't think we were talking about that um 15 years ago with the the gen 4 car so uh yeah it just it just seems so much different now and i don't have a good explanation for it though it just seems like well i could say partially it's probably because the cars are going a little bit faster maybe the higher center of gravity and the i guess it's the higher center of gravity and i guess the way the chassis is designed i i would assume it's different i'm not entirely for certain again not an engineer that maybe the wrecks look more intense because more energy is getting dissipated so in true reality it's actually better but they don't look better yeah like when say 20 i think it was 2012 eric mcclure crashed at talladega like i mean that was like head on into the wall and he came to almost a complete stop he, which, I mean, he ended up getting hurt in that wreck. But then you see other crashes where guys, you know, hit the wall or, or flip or, you know, and it's because that energy is dissipated as it is. Uh, like Kyle Busch, 2015 Daytona. I know that was a very weird angle to hit a wall. You know, the angle of the wall and the fact it was concrete and not a safer barrier. But regardless, he came to almost a complete stop after that. So I well, think that's one thing you also keep in mind when you think of wrecks like that. Well, if you were doing a side-by-side -side comparison of the McClure wreck, Danica did the same thing in the Kenseth flip wreck. Hit the yeah. wall at a very similar angle. Now she was shaken up, but fine. Thankfully. She's been in some crazy wrecks, man. <laughs> like the Almarola one at Kansas. Uh, when, when Almarola got hurt... Uh, Countless plate track accidents. Countless uh, Daytona wrecks. Yeah. So, so what Pinty's races are we going to see you at this year then, Stephen? Or is that still uh, on the drawing board? Uh, so I will be working with a team. We haven't announced it yet, but the driver, uh, for, for anyone who follows Pinty series, is pretty much given away. Uh, the driver is returning to full-time action after uh, two years away. Uh, but uh, I'm... I'm scheduled to go to all of them. 
I'm not sure if I'll be at all the Quebec races. However, I'll be working with uh, Bryce Turner, a guy that I've done stuff with um, at Can Race. But uh, definitely going to be at the big ones, most sport. Uh, I'm going to be missing uh, Jucasa number one, which is a, a big disappointment for me. Uh, that's actually the very first uh, track I ever saw any racing at when it was uh, Cayuga back in 2002. It was a it was a cast car event uh, where Tony Stewart, Matt Kenseth. Kenny Schrader, Ted Musgrave, Johnny Benson, and I think that's it. They all um, ran in the Cast Car Series. That's cool. There was 44 drivers, and Matt Kenseth ended up winning the race, and Tony Stewart ended up getting a fight with the uncle of uh, Kaden Lapsovich. So um, that was a pretty funny thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Tony Stewart getting into a fight 2002. I'm not really shocked. No. Um, but that was a pretty cool event. And um, he, I want to say he was specifically there for a whole week. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to be at pretty much most stuff. And I know uh, there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff happening, specifically with the fact that uh, in 2020, 2020, we're actually going to see the biggest change in Pinty's uh, history in terms of the cars. Uh, we are expecting a new manufacturer. And uh, it won't take a whole lot of guessing to figure out which one that would be. Uh, and uh, we are going to see new cars um, like the, that's going to be uh, resembling what we see in ARCA and the K&N series. So I think we're going to see a uh, higher participation, which is nice because car counts have been an issue the last few years. And yeah. part of it, I think, is how do you convince a team to invest in a series where you don't make much money? Um, it's a losing battle altogether and uh you can't race your car anywhere else whereas there's the apc late model series which has kind of gained a lot of traction in ontario and you can race that pretty much anywhere in the states in an other late model series so it's a tough sale a tough sell so it's nice that they are going to go to the the bodies um that we see in uh, a bunch of other series because all of a sudden now maybe we could see some panties teams attempt uh, the arca daytona race for example so um I'm excited where the series is going. I'm excited to be going back to the races because last year uh, I moved away from Ontario, uh, moved out west, um, and I saw a grand total of three races uh, compared to the 10 I saw the year before that. But of those three races, two of them were on the same night, and the third race was like three days later. So it was a like literally a four day excursion and that's all my racing series season schedule last year. So, uh, excited for that. I, I get to go to the Toronto Indy once again, and uh, this year will be my first time actually covering it. So that'll be nice. Cause I've gone as a fan the last couple of times. It'll be nice to actually be there doing a lot more. My whole focus actually is more on the video or the photo and video side. Um, so, uh, yeah, I like racing. It's fun. Now, awesome. will you, will you be attending say IMSA or, the NASCAR Truck Series event at Canadian Tire? Yes, the Truck Series. I've been doing that the last couple of years, so I will definitely be there. Um, cool fact, the, the finish between um, Cole Custer and John uh, Hunter Niemicek, I was uh, underneath the flag stand for that race. And uh, at the crash, a bunch of debris hit me in the face and the arm, and uh, that was a fun one. But I got my, one of my all-time favorite photos from that race of them two com coming across the line right before they got into a fight. Um, uh, the IMSA race, I'm hoping to be there. Uh, that's up in the air but uh the one race i will be going to is um there will be a sprint car race and uh, rico abreu tony stewart and christopher bell are all coming to watch Wigan, uh which is uh kind of by cayuga's racetrack there and um 
it's always a fun race when they do that. That track always brings like guys like uh, Kenny Wallace comes, uh, Kyle Larson came in the past, and uh, so yeah, I'm excited for that one. It's been a while since I've been on a dirt track. We don't exactly have a whole lot of dirt tracks in Canada. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Uh, getting to travel and get to work some races. That's awesome. I will say though, on on the whole Pinty's deal, uh, it's awesome that they're gonna have potentially you know similar cars cars that would potentially you know they'd be able to race uh you know outside of canada from an efficiency and a health standpoint of the series but i will say i'm gonna be sad when i see uh those cars go because they just look so cool they, wish... they look cool until you get right up close to them and they look like they were like bolted together 20 minutes before the race but uh <laughs> no i will say like it was nice because it was unique and yeah. um and like the racing, I don't know how much of it has to do with the bodies, but I will argue that the Pinty series is one of the best levels of NASCAR, um, partly for the fact that we see so many close finishes and it's a great schedule. It's a bunch of short tracks and then a street race or two street races in Toronto and GP3R. If you ever get a point, a chance to go to Tra Revere, that was still one of the coolest events I've ever been to in my life. And I've, I've been to some championship hockey tournaments and some other big events, but that was really cool. Like they basically shut down Tra Revere for like two weeks, uh, one week for rally cross and second week for the Pinty series. And it's like these regional racers, these guys with other jobs and other things going on in their lives basically become celebrities in the, town and it's really cool and it's always a fun street race um where every year there seems to be a giant fight we actually do get a lot <laughs> of fights in the Pinty series um we grassroots we saw, racing yeah we, we saw Caden Lapsovich's team and uh Donald Tej's team go after each other in victory lane in a championship race oh, uh, awesome. so, uh, <laughs> i posted some videos on youtube of it it was uh it was interesting Tej's team was not happy because uh Tej was going for his first win of the year, and this is like Lapsovich's like final race in the series, and he bumped Tej out of the way to get the win. And uh, <sighs> as you can imagine, the fifty-year-old Tej was not happy, and neither was his team. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it'll be fun to see that happen. And uh, the big question this year, though, is is Alex Tagliani ever actually going to win a championship? Because he's starting to get older, and um, he's had his opportunities. And last year looked like a really good opportunity, and he ended up losing to LP Doolin, and uh, who, who they, um, one of the big partners in that team is actually Marc-Andre Bergeron, who has played for Team Canada in hockey and uh, played in the NHL for many years. So there's a hockey connection there, too. That's cool. Wow. I have yeah. a question for you. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a schedule guy. So... You know, there's a lot of NASCAR fans that say, that say, well, let's do a street race, you know, in the top three series. Uh, what's what's the overall vibe of a street race in the Pinty series? You know, since here in the States, we don't have that. Or, you know, in the top three divisions, we don't have a street race of sorts. Well, the two most popular races of the year are GP3R and Toronto, the two street races. Um, it's It's a total... It's a total brawl on the track, and I, I did write a story for the the racing experts about that. I would absolutely love to see uh, a street race, but logistically, it's challenging because, like, we, um, with NASCAR, you get up to forty cars doing it, and that makes space pretty tight. You don't typically see 
um street races with that many cars and they at trois rivieres they always got a late model race with 20 to 30 cars and that's just a gong show of guys just smashing into each other <laughs> so it, it would be tough to do a full cup field or even a, a f almost full infinity field uh i think the closest series you could do for it would be trucks and yeah. i think that would be absolutely hilarious it would not be the best driver that would win it would be who did not slam into the wall five times who would win the race because <laughs> uh, if you think if you think uh, CTMP is nuts, try driving those things around the streets of Toronto or Belle Isle or Long Beach. That would be very tough. And the whole question is, where can you, where would you race these cars? Where would you have something like that? Um, but the Pinty Series fans absolutely love those races. Toronto Riviera is always sold out. It's always a major event uh, in Toronto, having it part of the, the Toronto Indy. I'd argue it is the best event every single time. Um, so... Uh, and the best part is the Pinty series is willing to race in the rain. Uh, so we haven't seen a street race in the rain, but how much fun would that be? Uh, yeah. Uh, quick answer. Not that fun. <laughs> Everyone would crash turn one. The, the gong uh, show would, would, the gong would fall off. <laughs> turn three at Toronto after a long straightaway is challenging enough in the drive. Now make a bunch of stock cars do that in the rain. Concrete on that concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they, there's, 15 cars in the wall turn one uh, or turn two. Like it's, 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 a, it's a, I absolutely love the street racing. I think the, the consensus is it's fantastic. Um, how logistical is it for putting 40 cars on the track? I don't know. Well, and you make a great point with space because I'm trying to think of a, of a street race that has that many. Uh, the only thing I can think of is Macau. And that's yeah, just a big lighter, so it's lighter yeah. and smaller, and yeah. so they can handle it. That's the thing. Like having that many thought cars is much more challenging. I was thinking, well, what about IMSA? Well, like we just saw Long Beach have only eighteen cars between two classes, but like again, we are looking at two classes where the car speeds are um, much different. Mm -hmm. um, so they're able to spread out more. So that works better. You put a bunch of cup cars, well, they're not going to spread out as much, and they're not going to get the, the high top speeds either. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're you're breaking pretty early, and it, it would be kind of tough. And um, I think the best way we could describe that is try doing an iRacing race at something like Long Branch or, um, or anything like that in a Gen 6 car, and good luck. You're you're gonna be in the wall very quickly, um, or yes, you're not gonna go that fast. So it yeah, logistically it's tough, but um, you never know. Like I was kind of hoping, you know, that the big 2020 scheduling thing in NASCAR, oh, we'd see something really cool. Obviously, we didn't see any tracks at it. Maybe that'll be 2021 type thing, uh, and it would be nice to see like the truck series consider something. But at the same time, like it, it would be tough to be a standalone event and i don't think the truck series would want to be a an indie car uh support race like we see at texas they would want to be its own thing if they're going to race street racing because the racing is going to be significantly different than the indie cars there indie cars more strategical and you're not seeing a lot of crazy passes but in nascar it's like you're going to be slamming guys into the wall to make any pass because of how big the cars are well that that gives me a thought you know nascar always says you know, we're we're trying to get into these big markets and such like that, and the only way you could really do that is bringing the race to them. Well, that's the perfect solution: is providing a street race in a big market city, say like a Chicago or a, a New York. Even though we have racetracks close, 
such like that, it might, you know, spur up the crowd, per se. Well, I also think that would be a good, I don't say a good, but it would be something different, like the Roval. And and that like that was absolutely insane last year. And I think just to spice it up, I think e- even if the race was a joke and absolutely terrible, uh, I think just because it's something different, it, I think people would like it. Because, you know, there's, I mean, John... I'm 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 gonna be real with you for a second, buddy. <laughs> John's probably one of the biggest antagonists of the schedule, uh, you know. So like, there's a lot of people, and I I understand where you're coming from. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are are not happy with with the schedule and have not been happy with the schedule just because it's been too stagnant. You know, everybody gets complacent because we're stuck with the same thing. So changing it up uh, is is necessary sometimes. And I think if if a street race is possible i think why not go for it i mean the schedule in nascar has been stagnant for the last it was stagnant 15 years ago it's yeah it needs it needed a change and 2020 was, was of course a step in the right direction in my Dude, opinion if, long if, you wanna, if you really want to spice it up uh make a miami street race happen and make it be the second race of the season oh but you get the excitement that, of the Daytona 500 with the excitement of a totally who knows what's going to happen type race. But and then it, you start two unpredictable races to start the season. But then you're cannibalizing your other event in Miami, uh, well in Homestead, which is right outside of Miami. That's race six or five, I believe. And um, also you have, I'm not sure how comparable spans are, but you also have the Rolex, and then you have Sebring. Ah, uh, yeah. Though, which is also in Florida, it's just overload. Time wise, yeah. If we're talking early in the season, I don't know if that would work, but maybe later in the season. Now with ISM being the finale, okay. That... Uh, start it right after the second Daytona, then. I guess. Well, I guess. So the opener of the chase. Uh, I guess that would be. Yeah, maybe maybe do it right before Daytona. I don't know. I guess. It it's... would be interesting, regardless. I think. Yes, I agree. If they could make any street race work in NASCAR. It would be phenomenal, I think. Yeah, like if you're a fan of unpredictable racing, having it not far off of Daytona wouldn't be a terrible idea because you can get back-to-back weeks or close-by type events. That would be kind of like, okay, this is crazy. This is nuts. This is unpredictable. But it's fun. And I know that, you know what, NASCAR doesn't need to be the most by-the-book style racing. It doesn't need to be raw it could be fun it could be entertaining it could be the wwe of racing as That's long as it's entertaining yeah, there you go yeah like like <laughs> it could be entertaining it could be fun it could be different and unique and that's okay like if i want to watch super pure racing I, I would say i'd rather watch indycar over nascar but if yeah. i want to watch entertaining racing um I I love Daytona. I love Talladega. I like the road courses because again, you never know what to expect at that, and that's okay. It doesn't need to be these drawn out three hundred lap races where first place wins by three laps yeah. type thing. It, it, it's it could be fun. It could be crazy, and it doesn't have to be 
again, just a predictable event. That's what makes NASCAR interesting that Daytona and Talladega work so well, because we're not going to go out and say Daytona and Talladega are in terms of actual quality on track racing um, better than some other races, but in terms of actual entertainment, they're definitely up there. And like you can win Daytona just being lucky at the last second, uh, but you can't win California by just riding in the back all day type thing. That's where you got to be consistent all day. Daytona, you don't have to. But that unpredictability is something you don't see other levels of racing. And that's what kind of makes it unique. And that's okay. It's like Formula E. It could be a gimmick because it works and it's different. If it was just another Formula single-seater open-wheel series, no one would care one bit. But it's got a gimmick that works. Those cars have a, a low enough horsepower where it's very exciting racing, despite not having the super high speed you would see in other open wheel series. And I think that makes that unique and fun. So the NASCAR fans that are all about tradition and, you know, we got to have this way, can't have uh, the chase, can't have all this. You know what? It's okay if it's different because it's exciting and it can be exciting and you can get better you just got to open it up. That's why NASCAR taking risks, doing something like a street race would be fantastic. You know, as as you were discussing about that, I thought of two other locations that probably be really good. Big markets that don't necessarily have the presence of NASCAR. Pittsburgh and Washington, D.C. I mean, the nation's capital. You know, just imagine a race there. Imagine a 4th of July race in the streets of Washington D.C. or around Washington D.C. Yeah, that would be cra- that would be pretty crazy. Or, or Phil or Philadelphia. I mean, yeah, yeah. I or or Vancouver. One one market that I kind of hate that uh, that hasn't been exposed really in NASCAR racing at least in a long time is the Pacific Northwest. I think the Truck Series raced at Portland there. Uh, years ago, and since we haven't seen many races in in the Pacific Northwest, and I think that's one uh, opportunity that's being missed there. And now there have been talks that Portland International wants trucks back, but that's kind of murky. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not gonna lie; it's been a great show, uh, Stephen. Thanks, thanks a bunch for joining us, buddy. It, it's it's been great having you. Yeah, yeah, thank it's been you great. guys for having me on. So where where can we find you on social media then? Uh, best place to follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. I tweet hockey and racing. It is uh, Stephen Ellis, T-H-N, uh, Stephen with a V. Uh, it's also my Instagram name, but I don't post a whole lot on there anymore. And uh, I also have a personal website, uh, StephenPEllis.com, and I post uh, anything I kind of feel like there. It's kind of like a mix of obscure hockey stuff, but also if I want to write an idea about why IMSA should fly uh, race fighter jets instead of <laughs> type thing. So uh, anything I feel like there. Ooh. So yeah, definitely go check that out. Uh, John Poole, where, where can we find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at JSPooleIII. And you can also find me at my gaming channel, JP3 Gaming, on YouTube and JP3Gaming56 on Twitch. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ZBCannon4. Uh, like my carding page on Facebook at Zach Buchanan Racing, And uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Zach Buchanan. I post a lot of racing videos there. 
Uh, make sure you guys follow the Pit Limiter podcast on Twitter at the Pit Limiter. We're on all major forms, all major platforms of podcasts. So you can find us anywhere, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys like us on Facebook at the Pit Limiter Podcast. And if you miss an episode, go back and uh, check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, the Pit Limiter Podcast on YouTube. It's been a great show, and we'll see you guys next week on the Pit Limiter Podcast. Goodbye, everybody.